Hi everyone, I'm Wendy Muse, creator of The Left Pocket Project, which brings you the history of leftists of color, one swipe at a time. And this is The Left Pocket Project Podcast. On today's episode, Richard and I shoot the bull, talk about what's going on in the world. Obviously, there's a lot um, going on, but we primarily focus on a little bit of coronavirus reality and primarily the protests that have sprung up in recent weeks um, surrounding the murder on film of uh, George Floyd and several other black Americans who were murdered at the hands of police and vigilante uh, racists. So we talk about that. We talk about perhaps what the future may bring um, in these with regard to these protests and following them. Um, and we kind of just talk about the direction of politics in general in the country and what it means surrounding these issues, how we can kind of bridge the question of Black Lives Mattering and other um, larger political concerns surrounding that and that spin off from that. Um, I just want to say really quickly that uh, there's some gaps, some sound gaps and seemingly like glitchy moments in the podcast. That's primarily because I had to edit out moments where the baby was crying. Um, obviously, I'm still at home with my child. Uh, she is very young, only a few months old. Uh, so she cries. <laughs> this is what they do. So I've learned. Um, but anyway, every now and then she'd cry and I try to just edit it out and make sure that there wasn't too much noise. Um, and so there is a little bit of a jump. So don't be alarmed by that. That's what's going on. Anyway, uh, enjoy as much as you can. Obviously, it's kind of a bleak subject, but we do the best that we can to kind of keep it like, oh, one more thing. This is absolutely not safe for work or the ears of children if you don't want anyone to hear a lot of cursing because I think my expletive meter is off the charts. I use lots of uh, bombs, F-bombs, S-bombs, the whole load of bombs um, in terms of words. So just be aware of that. Um, cover your ears or cover your child's ears or whoever's ears you think would be um, negatively influenced by such words. Please understand that the rage is, in my opinion, at least justified uh, because not only is the con- set of conditions that we're facing a total mess, uh, but the political response has been fairly uh, anemic as well. So anyway, have a listen. And obviously, uh, don't forget to check us out wherever you get your social media, wherever you get your podcast. You can search for us by typing in Left POC, and that's L-E-F-T-P-O-C. You can also go to our Patreon page, and that's patreon.com slash leftpoc, where you can find um, lots of reading materials, our, all of our episodes for free, um, and you can support us by giving us a dollar or more per month to support the podcast, which obviously gives back to the community, sustains itself through your donations and everything else. Um, so again, on with the show. Thanks, everyone. Hey, Richard. How's it going? Uh, good, good. <laughs> I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're good. I should stop asking that. I should stop asking how people are doing. It's like a difficult. So you're going to say we're living in difficult times like all the ads do right now. Um, so I should probably stop stop asking anyone how they're doing because they might be doing really poorly and then feel socially obligated to not say that uh, because we all have this norm that we've set where we say everything's fine and it's not fine it, at all, actually. Nothing is, I mean, nothing right now is fine, but even before then, things may not have been fine and people would just say I'm fine because we don't want to 
put upon the other person the burden of like having to deal with our stress and drama and anxiety and whatnot. So. Yeah, it's a fun dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. Uh, so anyway, yeah, hey, welcome to the Left Pocket Project podcast. Um, it's, uh, we're just going to have a little chat today, not a, a specific interview topic or anything. Obviously, the two main things on deck are coronavirus and the protests that have uh, lit up the country after the murder on tape of George Floyd um, by a police officer by the last name of Chauvin, Chauvin, I keep pronouncing it with the French pronunciation. I don't know how he pronounces his name. I don't really care. Uh, but he literally mm -hmm. sat on the man and choked him to death uh, by doing so. And of course, unless you've been living under a rock, you are aware that, you know, the entire country erupted in protest. And I think that, I don't know, I mean, one thing that I think is interesting, and we can start by talking about this, or we can go on to another topic and we can come back to this. But um, one thing I think that's interesting is that it doesn't really seem like it's about, like, quote unquote, Black Lives Matter. You know what I'm saying? I feel mm -hmm. like it has gone to some place well beyond just police brutality. And maybe I'm, I'm, strange for saying this but I don't know I feel like it's it's on to something else and I'm not sure what that something else is yet I'm not on the ground I unfortunately cannot protest or at least you know it's not smart for me to go to protest because I'm considered at risk um with regard to coronavirus so it, again I've already discussed this a jillion times but I have asthma and MS so if I get coronavirus I'm basically like certified dead uh, so I don't go to the protests and, and I'm really just like, I've been staying inside since this whole thing started. I go outside to walk the dogs sometimes. And even then I wear a mask. Um, so it's just very, I'm like living quarantine life full force. Um, but that being said, I don't know exactly what's going on on the ground. The only thing I know is like here in Baltimore, things have been fairly calm. And I was actually in the beginning expecting things to get a little wild, but I said, maybe because we they had such recent out like uprisings um that things will go a little bit differently here either the police will behave better which again is expecting a lot or um you know at least for their pr they might behave a little differently and or the organizers may have different tactics and it seems like right now that it's a combination of both um that they are everyone's kind of playing it cool um I think the first couple of nights they had some protesters who like threw fireworks at the police, which good for them, uh, but nothing came of it. And there was no real like res major response from the police. Again, that's as of now, today's June 11th, that may change. Um, but there have been protests, like light protests every night, every day. Um, and you know, especially during the weekend days uh, because people aren't necessarily working. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I have not been so, but I just, from what I see on the news and like, from what I've seen following on social media and whatnot, it kind of feels like the protests have taken a different turn, not to say that they're no longer against police brutality and like in support of, you know, sustaining black lives and livelihood, but it just feels different. And I don't know, I thought I'd get your take on that, especially as you're based in Washington. I know I've seen some stuff coming out of Washington that's kind of interesting, but I'd be curious to know what you think about what's going on and, and if you've had any involvement, if you've seen anything on the ground, maybe that I have missed by virtue of being inside my house the whole time. Well, no, I, I 
that's very interesting that you know, how you described Baltimore like you initially described. I would have thought uh, it could have gone one of or one of a few ways regarding their recent actions and then having this follow on so uh, soon after. Uh, it's been impressive that uh, the city has been able to navigate that as peaceably as they have. Is like whether it's been uh, a lot of progress been seen on any front is. Uh, one way or the other but uh, just that so far it's been able to not erupt in the kind of violent like it could have been a lot more brutal when I think back to the response from police when uh, the kid some of the kids initially there was like some rocks being thrown or something and the the police repression was just absolutely brutal and so to avoid that seems seems good and to have other cities take on some of the the brutality of the frontline work of kind of just really rising up against the the trend of police brutality throughout the country is uh, somewhat relieving, especially, you know, knowing you're there, knowing anything that's helped keeping you safe is also, you know, uh, positive for me generally. Uh, I, I worry about you guys out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, over here in these next woods, uh, I've been able to get out a few times. My feet are a bit blistered because I have not marched in a while. And so uh, there's been a learning curve for me as far as just being a part of uh, actions that are going on in my area. It's uh, both uh, mentally and physically. It's been, we, there hasn't been the kind of uh, confrontational, I'm further south than the Seattle protests. And so there hasn't been uh, one of the larger ones that I went to was in the city of Tacoma, which is uh, with a, where a predominant amount of the black citizens of Washington reside. And uh, though concentrated on a couple blocks and while represented, I think, in the uh, protest actions, uh, were not as uh, dominant as you might think considering the percentage within the community the protests that I'm thinking of in particular was one that was put on by some uh, high school students and it was kind of uh, I don't mean it derogatorily but a uh, kind of slapped together in rapid response to uh, the events that were transpiring and it was not organized in the traditional uh, manner that kind of some of those events are organized and there was some pushback from some of the traditional older organizers uh, and uh, i think it was impressive that a lot of the younger students just kind of stood their ground as far as you know demanding that something had to be done and that action had to be taken it had to be immediate and that they felt compelled and while the i think the uh, logistics of it might not have been perfected i think uh, there's very much there's a lot of value for everybody that was involved in uh, participating in that and so uh, thankful to the young organizers that helped put that together and that have continued to spread that organization and another protest that i saw was uh, put on by uh, some middle schoolers in a local area and so it's really much like the climate uh, protest has been spearheaded in a lot of ways by a lot of the younger organizers and youth activists that are still, you know, in the K through 12 educational system. And so that's been inspiring and hopeful. And that's been one of the, the silver linings, although that also comes with a, uh, I guess, some of the downside is that without the organization and without some of the wisdom that comes with experience from participation and uh, you know engaging in these types of events the 
people that are speaking, the messages have been kind of jumbled and it's really been like, as you were uh, kind of mentioning that for me, it hasn't been as focused as some of the previous Black Lives Matter uh, actions have been. Uh, Freddie Gray comes to mind and uh, a few others where it was very specific about very specific incidences. And while uh, George Floyd has definitely been the catalyst and the, the sparking point for a lot of people and Breonna Taylor as well, it, there's definitely an element of the protests that seem that while they might have the, the, those particular events might have brought them out into the streets and a lot of other people that there's more behind going on uh, to what's kind of keeping them out there than just those particular incidents. Right. And I, and part of, and it's interesting because like, first of all, they're obviously way more multiracial than we've seen, I think ever, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and also for, I feel like most of the footage that I see from them, it's like majority white in some cases. Um, I'm not sure what to I mean. Like obviously that depends on the city and where they are and like which area they're shooting the footage in and whatnot. But I find that interesting. And it certainly has been one of the reasons I think some liberals, white liberals in particular, have been kind of like galvanized by that. Because I think if it were just black people and then their bodies getting beaten, it may not solicit the, quite the same response. Because I mean, at this point, we're watching black people literally get murdered every day on television. Um, and that hasn't like caused an uprising in the past. Um, so I'm not really sure Again, I don't, I don't know what to make of the racial composition. I think it's good that they're multiracial, so just to put that out there. Um, but I think that also means um, that things could change rather quickly in terms of the focus of the uh, events. And what's, But what I was about to say in the beginning of that very long statement was that I would think you know, maybe coronavirus is, is motivating this um, continued, like sustained protest response. Um, but then I'm like, well, most of the people suffering from coronavirus, though, are like people of color and like essential workers who most likely cannot be at these protests most of the time because they might be at work. Um, so I, I really wonder, like, and I guess maybe that's another reason why we see such a degree of white involvement. Maybe like they're trying, they want to get out of the house. They want to do something. They feel like maybe this is a good cause to, to bring them out. Um, but they have kind of the luxury I, again i don't want to i'm, I'm not i'm trying to be careful in how i put this because i'm not saying that these people are lazy or they're just doing it because they don't have anything else to do um but i'm saying that there may be a little bit of um like there may be some barriers for the populations that are most impacted by what's going on and by what these protests are about that being police brutality precisely because they're at work and they're like working around the clock right now. Um, and and I and that's whether it be in grocery stores and and stores in general, hospitals or uh, gig economy jobs, you know, like Uber and Uber Eats and delivery work and stuff. I'm really wondering if there's kind of a disconnect um, or, or if if that reality kind of explains the demographic differences that we're seeing and also the turn um because as you said it's if it's becoming something that's a little bit more generalized there's there's not so much of a an ideological center obviously these are left-leaning but ideological in the sense that it's like black lives matter-esque focused um yeah i wonder what what ex i'm trying to figure out an explanation for that and i think that might be one partial explanation like the people that would be most motivated 
on the matter of, of racial injustice cannot, may not be able to be there with such um, frequency. Yeah, there's definitely an element of that. The the middle school protest that I mentioned was, I would say, predominantly uh, white. And it was also with a lot of parents. And I think uh, there was a, a couple tweets that went around in some of the early, when the protests first kind of uh, started to manifest across the country, that looked more like people looking for an excuse to get out and hang out and listen to music than it did like they were doing any sort of uh, protest that, like related to George Floyd, but I think that's also part of kind of the underlying current is just that there's con general contempt with the way things are, and it, people felt uh, like emboldened to express that contempt because they had a channel through which that they felt like it was a valid reason to be upset. And so if you were upset that you were locked up and you wanted to get out and do something, this gave people a venue and doesn't necessarily undermine or devalue their concern or the genuineness of it. But uh, I feel like that was part of the catalyst. I think there was also the, the there was an older elderly gentleman, 75 years old, that was uh, shoved over by cops and was it was caught on camera and it was very bloody and brutal. And that was definitely a turning moment for a lot of people. And there's just been a few uh, other instances of police brutality surfacing through all this that it particularly happening to like, uh, uh, there was a very graphic and brutal uh, video or uh, reports of a, a pregnant woman that was uh, brutalized. Uh, there was a uh, like videos of those things. I know, and the the exposure of them going uh, beyond it, both being in mainstream media and then also in for like the TikTok teen generation. There was a group of people that had been previously kind of secluded away from the brutality of uh, the police state in the United States. And this was their first kind of exposure and it was so kind of drastic. And there's kind of already an urgency among Gen Z about inheriting a country or and or planet that may not be sustainable or habitable for them. And uh, there's the Gen Z and they're both uh, re recording of their parents talking about these types of issues and exposing both them themselves, like their parents to themselves and their parents to the people around them. And then also uh, showing their parents what they're like seeing on these types of uh, apps because there's still this interaction. And because there is what I've perceived is there is kind of like uh, a, uh, a desire to understand or learn more in this moment, you know, mm -hmm. like people felt kind of unsettled, like they didn't have an understanding or an explanation for what they were seeing. And so they were actually uh, to one degree or another willing to like reach out and look and listen. And so I think that kind of uh, exposed a lot of people and like, it's not as if these things are new to them and that they haven't necessarily seen them, but it was just right. so uh, incontrovertible there's no room for ambiguity like even the Breonna Taylor case because of there's no video because there was shots fired in return and there's a conflicting story between police and everybody else uh, that it leaves just a shred of ambiguity so that people can put it away in their minds and not consider it a uh, you know something that they have to have to confront as uh, 
what it is, they can wait until the adjudication process has milled it away to something that it's really not. And they, they can deal with that thing at the end. Whereas the George Floyd uh, video is just so just brutal and incontrovertibly wrong that even a lot of the like various police and all those, everybody has, who has had to comment on it has had to like say that it was unacceptable, which is rare in uh, to be so ubiquitous. Now it doesn't mean to say that there isn't still a segment of the population that will say, oh, he shouldn't not have done that and will mm-hmm. give a death sentence for that. But those people in my view are unreachable in, in that kind of uh, space and right. they weren't making answers. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to say it's weird because like we saw, we see every time something like this happens that, well, he had a record. He had a rap sheet. She had a rap sheet. They did this. They reached for the gun. They did that. And then they have, um, even with the guy that you mentioned earlier, who was pushed down, the elderly man in Buffalo, who actually is like a peace activist and apparently was, has been involved in a lot of stuff, um, you know, with regard to fighting police brutality in the past. Uh, but they've now... The, the One America Network own, which is like Fox News on steroids, has been calling him an Antifa activist and all this stuff. And that's now Trump's favorite news network. Like he doesn't even fuck with Fox anymore because um, they're too liberal for him now. Um, so yeah, so, so the fact that they were able to smear this man as if somehow his record had something to do with him being nearly murdered on screen by police uh, is, is, is what makes me also interested in the fact that they didn't try to do that with quite the same uh intensity over george floyd like i haven't seen any news footage that was like george floyd had a bad rap he had it coming i mean i know he had a he had he did have some criminal history but i haven't seen anyone really playing that up like they normally do yeah it hasn't been you know not so cleverly laid into the every new york times headline or you know run like just you know inappropriately alongside other uh, updates or whatever as the leading line which we've seen happen in a variety of cases even uh, Tamir Rice comes to mind and is like whether it's children whether it's uh, you know uh, women sleeping in their bed whether it's any any of these types of situations there's always some sort of narrative that's constructed and it was just so uh, just impossible in this situation to for that to stick that it has the few attempts that have have just been so like knocked down and people are so like aware and ready for it that this was just uh, the the opportunity wasn't there for that narrative to take root in the same way I feel but it's been a uh, it's been trying like uh, you mentioned earlier at the top about you know asking people how they feel and uh, i saw a thread i don't have an at for it at the moment or anything and just i just passed by and it resonated with me was about uh, basically a woman a boss at a job white woman boss at a job that asked a black employee you know how are things more or less and they went into it and just explained about systemic racism how it was uh, you know affecting their life and how it was a part of the workplace as well and just the kind of process that the boss went through of first you know oh no you know that that can't be true and oh I'm going to do something about it and then having realized how powerless they as an individual were to do anything about the the structural and systemic issues that they were uh, kind of confronted with then lashed out and 
resented the person, uh, the individual for pointing it out rather than the, the system. And so I think that's part of uh, a fear I have growing out of this is that without uh, appropriate direction or, you know, uh, sort of conversations around how, like where, where the ire should be appropriately placed and how uh, we should move forward, that then this could be singled out onto an individual basis when the issues that we're dealing with are much more systemic. And we've kind of seen that dynamic play out a bit in some of the, like the eight to abolition versus eight can't wait. Oh yeah, that is definitely the case. I think that, that your point about the individualization, I guess, I don't know what the word would be for that, but the focus on the individual in this case, which is something that you and I have talked about before with regard to a lot of other issues, um, is a problem. And I think it, it, it becomes um, then a focus of like, white people just need to be nicer or like white people shouldn't say offensive things as opposed to we have a system that on paper is race blind, but that has in effect and in application a very racialized and racist um, approach, right? And that's the thing that like people seem to not understand about systemic, like the word systemic means literally it's rooted in the system. So like the system itself needs to be torn down, cleaned up, fixed, changed, altered entirely brand new, you know, like there has to be a, a removal of um, these sorts of problems as they are applied. And I think sometimes people have, have trouble understanding that, even though they may say something about systemic racism, systemic racism, but then when they start talking about that, they revert back to this discussion of like, well, white people just need to be less racist on a personal level and be nicer and like get more black friends. Another thing I've seen a lot of is um, like, we need to patronize more black businesses, which to me is like, no guys, <laughs> like re reinforcing capitalism through, through like with the black face doesn't fix the bigger, like the bigger systemic problem. Sure. If you want to patronize black owned businesses, that's great. Like, I'm not saying don't do that. Right. But to do, to present that as a solution of sorts or a way to fix what's going on is like completely absurd. And it's something I've seen. And, I, and again, it's like well-meaning people. I don't think the white people are who are making this suggestion or the black people who are making the suggestion are thinking, um, are, are trying to do something malicious or trying to like, you know, just, just throw their energies into something else so they won't be blamed. I think they're, I think people are white people, at least who are doing these things are willing to take the blame. But the point is that I'm not interested in reinforcing white guilt. I don't really care how you feel. Like that's, the, I want you to not be racist, of course, but I also want us to understand collectively as a group, as a country, that it's not about just the individual. It's about like maybe individuals with power. Yes, like if you're a racist judge or a racist cop, which is like pretty much all of them, then you're gonna act in a way that is racist and then contribute to these systemic abuses like how you if you're a judge for example how you carry out the law yes if you're a police officer how or like if you're a judge how you do sentencing as well right um if you're a police officer which which communities you and your captain decide to target and abuse those things are connected but i think that just like me you and, and sally or whatever we're having a talk and she says something that might be offensive that might hurt my feelings, that might frustrate me, that might even be an ind indication of how she chooses to vote and the people that she puts in power. But it does not directly connect in quite the same way to the system that is oppressing people like you and me 
um, that makes it harder for us to get jobs, that makes it harder for us to keep jobs, that means that we're competing against people who may have lower degrees or less experience, but because they're white have a better, a bigger advantage, things like that. You know, it's not quite the same. It, it, it's connected, but it's not quite the same to the degree that people think that that's going to fix things by their just not being personally racist. No, and I think it's an important distinction and there is like overlap in where the individual behaviors uh, contribute to the systemic that you mentioned. Uh, one example that comes to mind is uh, I know in California and probably several other states, essentially the lawyers are self-policing. And so uh, if a lawyer is doing something wrong, the only person that's going to like cr to confront them on that is another lawyer. And if they've all adopted various uh, base racist assumptions, then you're gonna end up with lots of behavior just not getting confronted because the people that are in charge of confronting it don't see anything wrong with it. And so it, it kind of creates this overlap of uh, a this personal behavior uh, being uh, manifested at a systemic level, then also perpetuating the systemic biases of the system that are there even if you corrected that particular issue. And so it, there's, it, like, so even if the, the lawyers all did a good job of self-policing and did, and did the, like, an honest and uh, intentional job, it would still not address and correct the systemic issue, although it contributes to it. And being able to disentangle and then also be able to see the connections between those is an important aspect of addressing and redressing the kind of uh, systemic abuses that have taken place as a result of those systems. And uh, I think your point about the the uh, reaching out towards uh, essentially black entrepreneurship and reinforcing the capitalist system is uh, not the message that is most effective in this moment. Although like you, I would agree, it's like if you're going to choose a business, I would prefer it to be a black owned small business than, you know, a white conglomerate or whatever. But that that's not going to resolve the actual root issues that we're trying to deal with and uh, looking to those types of solutions is uh, misguided in in my view and in many ways is uh, a negative towards the types of energy and momentum that's needed towards the more radical changes that are necessary to achieve the the actual goals that people can adopt the rhetoric of but adopting the kind of underlying theory and supporting action is a little bit tougher. Mm -hmm. I think too, it reminds me of like, it reminds me of the people who get so close, but yet so far away. <laughs> so like, I'm thinking, for example, of, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, I remember one of the things he did in 2016 that like made people lose their freaking minds is that he was saying, you know, when he was asked about police brutality, when they ask him, you know, like, okay, what do you think about, what can we do about this? He would respond, well, we've got to make sure that young, young black men get jobs, that he always goes to unemployment, right? And this is even the response that he would give with regard to Israel-Palestine. He always talked about the unemployment rate, like, like they're getting bombed by or, or shot down during protests in the street. Pregnant women are being killed by, and journalists are being killed by Israelis because they don't, the Palestinians don't have jobs. Like it definitely like did it, you know, like of course it sucks that the, mm -hmm. the unemployment is is the unemployment rate is as high as as it is, but talk about forest like missing the forest for the trees situation, you know, like that that response always drove me up the wall. And I think 
and that is also one that he gave about police brutality in 2016 that really offended a lot of people and understandably so because i think that's kind of what that support black owned business thing reminds me of right it's like saying well as mm. long as as these if these people have jobs right if they have some sort of form of capital, then maybe the police will leave them alone. If they go to school, if they get a job, if they, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's always that sort of like putting the onus on us to make the police better. And I think that's also what's frustrating to me about even the, the, the sort of, I don't know, like the way that these things are shaping up, it still reminds me, it gives me like back, like back flashbacks to those sorts of statements because it says to me that the onus is still on the black person to make white people and our white, white led society and police of any race nicer towards us, better towards us, to treat us as human beings. Like it's not our job. Like you should just treat me as a human being, period, right? Like why do I have to constantly prove myself? Why do I need to have, why is the only way for you to see me as valid through my business or like through my job or through my educational background, right? Like that's what bothers me, I think, about these sorts of approaches. Um, and, you know, the other thing it's just, that's like been really driving me kind of nuts is that it's really too little too late i mean I'm, I'm i've been trying to be optimistic this whole time like really i really have like i'm i have a tendency to be negative about these things because i just i know how they shape up you know like if you read through history you're like okay yeah that starts out nice and then everything just goes to pot because it gets infiltrated it gets watered down you know it gets reduced to whatever because people are coming at it from so many different directions so i, I started with this situation trying to be positive and I try, I'm still trying to be supportive, but at the same time, I really worry that, um, you know, things are already getting watered down. I saw, for example, unexpected, I mean, we expected this, but Joe Biden, you know, is using this as a political moment to, to say things basically like the, when he does come out of his basement um, to talk about stuff, he says that he wants to give the police more money. He wants to train them better. He wants them to get sensitivity training or whatever. Um, and he doesn't want to dismantle the police. And so, like, you... And by sensitivity I, training, you I mean shoot people in the leg instead of the chest. But right, continue, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Like, sense, less sensitive areas. Um, <laughs> but I just, <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I feel like it's already happening. Like, the co-opting is already happening. Some of the organizers are, are, like, clearly ops. I mean, it's very, very obvious, you know, the ones who are like, let's walk with police, let's be friends with the police. It's like, nah, man, like you don't know, like, don't, you don't speak for us. Like, what are you talking about? You know, we, the point is, this is against police brutality. And I would say just like, you know, you see all these videos of like the police dancing with the protesters and stuff, and it's offensive on its face. And it just, it's, you know, like, I don't think anyone would have expected people to dance with the Nazis, you know, like, no one's like, oh, go, let's have a video of Nazis dancing with their captives. Like, at the end of the day, you know, these communities that, that are heavily policed are, are like, I, you know, I've always, rec you know, compared it to like checkpoints that you see in war zones. These are situations where they are, as we've heard before, acting like occupying armies. And we don't need to be friends with police. Like, the police have wreaked havoc on many of our communities for decades, if not centuries, and we don't have a reason. It is not our obligation to be friends with these people. We are asking the police to do their jobs, but the problem is that their job is to protect capital and property and basically whiteness. And this is 
this is playing out in a way that's violent towards us. So I don't even want them to do their jobs. I just want them to get the fuck out, right? Like we need to completely destroy the pro the the system of policing. And if we're gonna have something, I also am concerned about things when people are like, let's do community policing because there's this assumption that people in the community can't also become violent and harmful and and do things that are inappropriate to other people in their community. And what does community even mean nowadays? Because communities change so much. Like because of the job market, people are moving constantly. There's no sense of, you know, neighborhood community in the same way that there used to be. Um, so again, it just it doesn't none of none of these solutions, quote unquote solutions, are adequate. And yet we're being told like it's basically like everyone's supposed to give people who are just now kind of figuring it out and giving shit solutions a pat on the back. Like, no, you don't get a cookie for fucking just now coming to terms with the fact that, yeah, black people are being abused by police. And some people still don't even seem to get that. Like in these responses, I've seen like, um, you know, like Amazon and all these companies coming out saying, we're going to make sure that our workforce is more diverse, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's not about that. That is good. That's something you should have been fucking doing in the first place. But the point is like mm -hmm. the response is not to diversify your workplace in to to fix and end police brutality. Like I guess I'm just I just feel like everyone's all over the place and they're all just trying to make up for lost time. And the last thing I'm gonna say, one of the most egregious, ridiculous examples of this was um Vanderpump rules. So I don't, again, this is like for people who are really into pop culture like me, but there's this really silly show on Bravo called Vanderpump rules. It's a stupid show. It's been like all white forever. The entire cast is white with the exception of like one girl who was kind of on it for two seconds. And then that's the person that this is about. So basically she, um, she's a black employee. It's about, it follows around these like uh, bartenders and waitresses and, and, and waiters at a restaurant um that's in LA or Hollywood or something and um one of the waitresses is black or was she's not there anymore um and some of the other waitresses were like bullying her and basically she was an extra on the show I mean there was she's not a main character or anything and these other white girls when they got drunk called the police on her and blamed her for like this whole series of robberies that had been happening in the area but by another black woman who looked nothing like her was a totally different skin tone had a bunch of tattoos so like a completely different woman um and they got drunk and called the police on her so this is something that happened like 10 years ago or whatever the network knew about it both of the women who had done it had been very transparent about it were joking about it in podcasts that they have um, and on other shows that they had been on as guests and the network had never done anything. And now, just now, like the other day, the network decided to fire these two women and like two guys who had also engaged in some sort of racist behavior from the show. And I'm just like, but this happened years ago. Like, why are you doing it just now? If you know that they were being racist, which like, duh, why wouldn't you, why would you allow them to keep being on the show then? Like, why would you, you know what I mean? Like, why now, right? Is it just because George mm -hmm. Floyd was killed and there are all these protests and now you feel like you need to fire people who have a history of being racist? Like, it just bothers me because you've been sitting on this information and you didn't do anything then. So don't do it now and act like you're supposed to get a fucking cookie. Like, I'm just sick and tired of this, like, late, late-ass response. And it's the lateness that gets us killed. Like, I say this all the time. And this is why people often are frustrated by, unfortunately, like, by the interracial aspect of certain things because we say 
why people have taken so long to get shit. Like it takes them forever to see our humanity, God forbid, trust our experiences, right? When we tell them police brutality is real, they say, oh, but there's always a but, there's always an excuse, there's always a reason, a blaming of the victim, whatever. And then when people finally realize what's going on, it's like 20 years later and a bajillion other people have been murdered. It's too late. And like, I'm, I'm also sick and tired of thinking about police brutality as something that we need to fix through like judicial and legislative means. Like, oh, we need to make sure that these cops are held accountable. But like people are already fucking dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, we need to hold cops accountable, but cops going to jail isn't a deterrent for them. Like they're clearly not doing this because they don't, they don't have to worry about going to jail. But even if they do go to jail, they'll be fine. Like they know half the fucking COs and like they'll, they'll manage, you know? I don't think that that is what, I don't think that that's enough of a motivator to keep them from doing these things. And it's about not seeing us as human beings. I don't, I don't want to get to the point where we're going to court over a cop killing someone. I want to get to the point, the root of the cause of why he's killing someone. And why is it that like, I'm, I'm also sick and tired of people talking about, well, maybe we need to have a more diverse police force. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm sorry. I'm cursing so much, but I'm just, it just makes me really angry. Like, look at, <laughs> look at the, but like, look at the Freddie Gary case. Like half the fucking people on that were like black. There was a black woman, there were black men, there was like a one white guy. Like everybody involved in killing Freddie Gray were people, of, like pretty much people of color and a woman. And I'm like, don't fucking tell me that if we have a more diverse police force that we're going to do a better job at not, it's like, this is what we mean when we say systemic. It's something that affects all of us. This racism and hatred affects all of us at every level of our lives to the point that we internalize it too. And Having a black policeman, I mean, I see so many, so many videos. There was a video that came out a few years ago as well of like black police officers beating up children in, in high schools. There's a video of a black police officer like brutally beating a young man. He can't be more than 14 or 13 years old or some shit. And he's beating him up. It's on, all on tape. That man still has his job somewhere probably. And like, don't, I mean, and it's a, it's a young, it's a black, it's like black police officer black young man being brutalized freddie gray was black you know like black police officers killed him there are so many other cases like this we had even in the george floyd case there's an asian american cop who's who's on the sidelines watching telling people to back up while this man is being murdered in cold blood there the guy who killed philando castile was asian american the guy who killed uh, a kai Gurley, asian american like these people are not white so don't tell me that if we have a more diverse police force, that it's all going to be good. Like, I'm just wondering when are, where, where, like, are people paying attention is what bothers me. It's like the laziness in the response. It's just, everyone's dialing it in. You know, we're like, we're going to fix things. Okay. And then the solutions they give, including this eight can't wait nonsense. It's all stuff that's already been implemented. That's already been tried and that doesn't work. And that's why we're saying abolish police now there are plenty of resources out there about what that would look like and people love to be like oh but what are we gonna do if you need a bit of you know like just google for fuck's sake you know what i'm saying like, <laughs> like they're ha like oh you don't know what it means to abolish the police okay you know what we have now the internet go on the internet type in the words abolish the police and guess who'll come up angela davis ruth wilson gil or ruth gilmore ruth wilson gilmore sorry um you know like uh alex um Oh my God, what is his last name? I'm blanking right now. Oh my God. 
but there are people who will come. I can't remember. I'm so sorry for forgetting his name because he's like a very prominent uh, police uh, abolish, like abolish police guy. I'll find it right now. I can't remember. I'm, I'm so sad. I'm blanking on his name right now. But anyway, there are plenty of people who are out there doing this kind of work and they know what they're doing. They have written about it. They have talked. Alex Vitale, that's his name. Alex Vitale. There are people who have written and talked about this on like ad nauseum. Go on YouTube, type in abolish police. You will see lecture after lecture after lecture after lecture of people talking about this. So like, don't, I'm just, I'm tired of the willful ignorance, ignorance and I'm tired of the people who are acting like they deserve some sort of credit for not being racist pieces of shit. That's, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't no. pull Jimmy Dore right now, but like, <laughs> I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. No, and I mean, that's that's the experience. And I think a lot of us have that feeling at one point or another or constantly for some of us. And it's it's beyond absurd at this point. And I think you're right about one, uh, people that want a cookie or a pat on the back for finally recognizing something that like likely the people that they're asking for that cookie or pat on the back from have literally been screaming at them for years. And so it's just, uh, it is upsetting in general. And uh, you mentioned it's not it, like, we hear constantly that they don't know or that they didn't understand or whatever, but we know like the Jane Elliott video and like the Chris Rock joke, these are old already. These, these are decades old already. And at that point it was a confrontation of, Oh, well, you know, black people are treated differently and you don't want it for yourself. So why are you still willing to accept it for others? And there was no answer. And it just lingered like that for another several decades until like, the, these events started uh, these murders really happened uh, over and over and were on video and had to be confronted because of the constant news cycle and it, it was a story that had to be told because it was just so egregious that and so like widespreadly known that it had to be confronted in some way and the narratives were usually uh, contorted or poisoned with all sorts of like just garbage but it was this thing and the George Floyd murder comes up and it just uh, it all boiled over. And it, it's, it is, it's incredibly frustrating that people act as if this is any, any, nothing that is happening that is being exposed by the police brutality and the videos against these protests is new. Absolutely none of it. And like, none of it is any less justified than it was when we saw it before. It, it was just as brutal and unjustified then as it is now. And it just because the, I think in a large part because of the, the larger white presence at these protests, it has given them a new, uh, and the, the like blinding legitimacy of the, the cause has given them a new kind of ability to see through a bit of a fog and see that, but the point you make about people that then, you know, you're like, so this is why, because you're just now understanding this, that it's not reform the police, it's abolish the police. And they're like, well, but I mean, have you thought about, you know, murder and, and crime? It's like, and yes, it's we've like, thought about it. <laughs> you know, you might be surprised, but this has come up before in the decades of fucking work that's been done. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you are not, you and your 30 seconds of thinking about what the word abolish police means, it did not come up with some new and not, like grand understanding that provided insight into the subject that the, the scholars and the fucking activists that have been doing this work for decades didn't come across, get confronted with and deal with and, and like recognize and, and 
approach in a very thoughtful and dialectical man dialectic manner it's just like it's absurd the level of arrogance that is implicit in these types of like aggressive ignorant questions like oh well you know there's like in, in some like not in the way that you bring it but like to the community policing which is the kind of they get at it in a very crude way of well you know then the kkk's gonna run it's like yes that is something that's come up with abolitionists about you know like you can't just hand over this authority to any community and expect the community to just magically be a good community it's like the that's where this other aspect of something like the Ahmad Arbery uh, murder, which had which wasn't the police, but was along the lines of the Zimmerman and this vigilante racism that underpins uh, the the creation and the existence and the the uh, the ability for police to get away with everything is the the current of racism that just permeates every aspect of our society that is beyond police brutality and that even if we do, do abolish the police, it, like it has to, and it presupposes a socio, a social change alongside with it, that is in, uh, been driven, and according to the theory and the people that the activists and the research that I've done is driven a lot by Marxist and dialectic uh, analysis, in that you have to look at what socio, what does the sociological science tell us reduces aberrant behavior, and what it tells us is that you know, beating people and threatening them with incarceration does not work. It just, it just doesn't work. And, and in many cases can exacerbate the issue. And, you know, like we discussed reading revolution, we read abolition democracy, which you mentioned Angela Davis is like, this isn't new, this concept, both the connection between our foreign policy and the, the kind of aggressive, violent uh, approach we take to imposing our will on people abroad is also manifested in domestically in our carceral state and our police force and being able to draw those connections helps us dig into the social uh undercurrents which like which underpin the entirety of the 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 racist structures that allow for the police to rise to be so problematic in society and yet we see across the country in various states and cities how powerless the the legislative and mayor and the executive is to do anything about uh what is essentially a a, a violent gang run amok with uh, the authority of the state well, right. And that's the way I've always said, or not always, but like a year ago or so I wrote, you know, imagine hating the cops, but trusting the state department, right? Like these are, these people are like, I guess I don't understand why people can't extrapolate. Just make this jump, right? Take the little short leap that it is to say, police here brutalize people's color. They brutalize poor people. They brutalize XYZ group, right? We see them they have weapons that they don't need that come from our military actually, which is something that needs to be fully acknowledged and understood. Like if people can make that connection, right? They say, these are, these are the tanks. These are the tanks that are used in, in military operations. These are the guns and weapons that are used in military operations. And I remember one of the things that kept coming up during the gun control debate is people like Pete Buttigieg and others would be like, these are the guns that I use on the, on the battlefield in Iraq. And you're like, right, that's the fucking problem. Like you shouldn't use them here, but you also shouldn't use them there. Like 
Are you saying to me that the people in Iraq don't deserve to live? The innocent people who didn't do a goddamn thing to you and their children don't deserve to like live their life like normal without some psycho from the United States running around with a huge ass gun? And when I say psycho, I mean psycho hyped up on power, right? This is, this is I'm not even talking about mental issue. I'm talking about psychologically damaged because he thinks or she thinks that they run the world, that they own everything, that they have the right to our bodies and other people's bodies and other people's property and other people's livelihood. Like this is what makes me nuts. You know, like this is why I don't understand why people don't make that jump. You know, it's a very short, it's a very short leap. Like people are being abused by people with excessive power in order to protect capital. People there and people here. People who are being brutalized in other countries by our military, and now the military men are having the gumption to go on TV and act like they care about black life. Meanwhile, AFRICOM is running around. War in Iraq is still going on. War in Afghanistan is still going on. All these like wars are still happening, and you're, you're talking to me about racism? Like, what is the source? What is the reason that we're going to war? Part of it, obviously, is capital, but the reason that we feel like these people's lives in other countries don't matter is precisely because they are people of color, because they are poor people, because they're of a different religion or a different ethnic group, whatever. That's all what we use to legitimize this violence. And I just wish people would, I mean, I, I, I don't know, and I'm, I'm frustrated to see still people who are brutalized by police sitting there standing for the fucking military. There was a guy, there was a Nicole Hannah Jones who like makes me nuts. She's at the New York times. She was over the 1619 project. Um, and she's written a lot of really good stuff about um, school segregation and things like that. So she's one of those people who's like very close to getting it right. She writes eloquently and super well-researched stuff on racism in the domestic sense. The other day she posted a tweet that was of a black National Guard guy, uh, service member, who was saying Black Lives Matter along with the protesters. He was in his uniform, he was standing there on guard, so he wasn't in the middle of the protest, but he was, you could see him mouthing the words, Black Lives Matter, as they said Black Lives Matter. And she said, literally, don't, don't come around here posting any anti-imperialism stuff because I'll block you, you know? And I'm like, what is wrong with you? You know what I'm saying? Like she, she was getting upset at the prospect of people criticizing her empathy towards this man. And I'm like, this man woke up that day and decided to put on his uniform, decided to load his fucking gun and police the people out there who are fighting for his life. Don't fucking ask me to give him sympathy. And then on top of that, He's ready at will when he needs to, to go kill somebody in another country, acting like the very police whose black life don't, who don't see his black life as mattering. You know what I mean? Like you have to mm -hmm. freaking recognize that like these people are not, they don't care. They don't care about you. They don't care about people in other countries. They don't give a shit. This is what they do. Now, there are some people who are in the military. I know because I have military family members. Half of my family was in the military, okay? That doesn't mean that they can't be criticized. They may make their decision on the basis of poverty. Some people may make their decision on looking for job opportunities, but that's not an excuse for going to kill people. I'm sorry. Like, there are lots of things that you can do that don't involve that. You can go work for McDonald's. You can go work for Burger King, whatever, and you're not killing anybody. You might not make as much money, but there won't be any blood on your hands. Maybe blood from the pork or the beef, but, you know, that's a separate discussion. But, like, <laughs> there's no literal, like, there's no reason. There's no justification at this point to work for the police or the work to the work for the military because we know what they do. People know what they do. And I think sometimes there's, like, this weird... Um, 
you know, there's this like weird uh, granting of ignorance to people because we say, oh, well, they're poor and they don't know any better. And, and like that's infantilizing and takes away the agency of people who do, yes, make adult choices in their adult lives about what they want to do with them. And I think that they, you know, when I see things like what Nicole Hannah-Jones was saying and get her frustration at people criticizing her, sorry, that's my baby in the background. Um, she's upset too about this. Um, <laughs> it's like when I see people being critical of our mentioning this, when people, she also had a fight with um, a woman, a young woman, Yasmin Jonas, who had been very critical of Obama's droning policy because Yasmin, if I'm not mistaken, is from Sudan. If, and if someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones was upset over the fact that anyone would dare criticize Obama because he's our first black president. And I'm like, but he's the first, he's the first black president to wield presidential power as the president of the U.S., which is a, an imperial country and a country that enacts terror across the world and domestically towards people of color and the poor. So what do you want? You know, like, and this, this is why I get upset at people like that, because she knows better. She knows, she knows, you know, she, it's not that she doesn't mm -hmm. know what's going on around the world. I mean, yes, she's a little bit ignorant over certain things, but it's, she works for the New York freaking times. And if she's a black voice on the New York times and she's unaware or seems to have not just unaware, but seems to have a complete, um, uh, like lack of desire to learn about what's going on elsewhere in the world and a complete rejection of the analysis over imperialism and U.S. state violence and state terror within and beyond its borders, then I don't want to have anything to do with you. Like, you don't represent me. You don't speak for me. It makes, all, it makes me want to go back and look at all of her articles and see, like, okay, what is she missing here? Why is she not talking about this? Why is she, you know? Like, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just, I get frustrated that the only, the only people we have to, quote, unquote, speak for us in these halls of power have, sorry. She's getting a diaper change and now she's like upset. No, no <laughs> One problem. Moment. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I, I was just thinking is when you were saying that uh, about like the defending, you know, the or people going to get up and put on these uniforms anyway. Uh, like one of the things that came to mind was recently there was the police board president in Chicago that was like praising the police's ability to, you know, restraint and then later got got beat by the police and then afterwards went and defended the police again right. and it just speaks to this kind of uh, abusive relationship between the power structures and the the kind of blackface that we put on top of uh, some of the actors within those structures that you mentioned in the represent or the representation kind of uh, solutions that people present and that we we know demonstrably that it doesn't work now like when frederick Douglass thought you know hey you know maybe if we get into the system we can you know use the levers of power to make the system equitable and live up to the ideals that are in this here constitution thing but it's like we're uh, more than 100 years later that that uh, kind of naivete has has past its purpose like that there's we're not this isn't going to happen that way that's been made abundantly clear and demonstrated in every way possible and like and salt has been rubbed into the wounds multiple times of the uh, Tulsa uh, race you know terrorism the burning of Black Wall Street and uh, Trump then now looking to go back and rub salt in the wound and gather a bunch of white supremacists somewhere in the area ambiguously as he always is is like just a 
so emblematic of the kind of approach that has been taken by white America towards this issue of faux empathy that lasts a week or a few, uh, you know, a call for some sort of vague reform and increasing the empathy and budgets for police, hoping that eventually they'll turn into good people and uh, no progress on these fronts. And like, without trying to like verge too much into any sort of ableism or anything, because I know a lot of people have been dealing and pointing out some of how, how just a lot of we, how a lot of us deal with this stuff through mental illness and like our, uh, the characterizations of me mental illness and understanding like this person must be psychologically damaged. There is an aspect of police just actually being in one of the top 10 professions for psychopaths and having a society organized and uh, kind of dedicated towards and surrounding the success of psychopathic behavior of uh, zero empathy behavior being rewarded by uh, capitalism and society, a society formed around capitalism. That is definitely a part of the, the brutalization because other than uh, when people are uh, experiencing some sort of psychopathy or sociopathy, you have to dehumanize the victims of this brutality in order to uh, get people to engage in it. They, it's just, psychologically damaging and hard to actually kind of brutalize other people in that kind of way and so what you have to do is see them as less than and racism and uh, religious bigotry has always been a very important part of of that historically and confronting that and understanding that in a lot of ways has just been robbed from the american populace in that our educational system has completely whitewashed and uh, kind of sanitized our understanding of history and what kind of actions actually led to change and what the results and the consequences of those actions and the kind of retaliatory actions of the the system and conservatives were towards that other than oh there were these people that didn't want to change but they eventually we got rid of those people when the reality is there was bargains and compromises made with those people that essentially undermined any ability to make those changes and progress permanent and we see that in countless ways one of the ones that comes to my mind is how in many areas segregation is actually worse than it was in the 70s and it is it's worse now than it was in the 70s and so that it's just another demonstration of how this kind of reform mindset and get people to act behave in individually better rather than address the systemic changes uh, even if it does see some uh, uh, temporary harm mitigation that the long-term security of it is always endangered by the continued existence of the other system or the other kind of view that has not been eliminated or been adequately sequestered but actually just compromised with again in ways to that they can then undermine any of that progress in the future well right see that in the financial a... industry too is go ahead oh i'm sorry um no it's not just about like because we see, oh, it's it's the individual victim, right? Like this guy may have done something wrong or that person may have done something wrong and they deserved it. Um, but then it also becomes an individual policeman, right? Like the whole, you know, bad apple situation. It's just a bad one, a couple bad apples. Um, but it, you know, what, again, I always try to, to make these comparisons to other things to have people recognize how ridiculous they sound, right? Like, why don't we just train the Nazis a little bit better? Why don't we give the Nazis sensitivity training? Why don't we, what about the, what about the good slave masters? You know, like the, you wouldn't, I mean, and I've, I've seen people to the, 
to this day cite good quote unquote good slave masters, right? Um, and the point is like the good slave master still owns a human being as property. So whether or not he treats them nicely is irrelevant because he still owns a person's, a person's work, a person's mind, a person's body. This is not humanity, right? This is not what humanity should be. And systemically speaking, it's not what we want the world to engage in or this country to engage in in order to sustain itself. It's not right. And so, I mean, I think sometimes you have to like make these comparisons in order for people to understand and wrap their heads around it. Because right now we've been brainwashed into thinking that police are the good guys, right? We have show after show after show after show of propaganda, as people call it, um, encouraging us to see these people as good, inherently good, and that a few of them just get, you know, they get overworked and underpaid and they're upset. They don't know what to do with themselves. And so they act out in violent ways or they've had a bad day or, you know, and I'm just like, this is, no, that's not what's happening. Like this, it's this, the root of policing in this country is one of violence and racism. So you can't tell me that it doesn't continue in that direction. It's going to continue in that direction because that's, that's the foundation upon which it was built. And that's what people need to understand. And I think that's why, like I was saying earlier, I get frustrated with people like Nicole Hannah-Jones who then make excuses for the military because they're a bunch of military personnel who are black. That doesn't matter. And this is the problem of understanding this is simply a, a lack of diversity in certain areas, right? But by, by people saying we need more black executives or black this or black that. That's not, that's a problem, but it's not the way to fix the other much larger issues we have going on. And I wish, this is also why I wish we had better spokespeople because we cannot, I cannot and do not rely on white people to speak for me and what's going on in our communities. But at the same time, we have people from our communities who are saying things that are just ridiculous and make me more upset because I'm like, you had one job. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. You had, you had and one job. Were, and, <laughs> and they decided it was to collect the check to say, right. to basically repeat what the white person told them and like affirm their beliefs and affirm the their understandings and so like yeah, exactly. when they say listen to black women they say they mean listen to black women repeat what i just said that's right and there are people who are trying to keep a job at the end of the day they don't want to mm -hmm. lose their job they want to keep their place that's why this whole seat at the table shit doesn't work because it's like once you get to the table you're like bye it's <laughs> like kick everybody else mm -hmm. down and so it doesn't it doesn't help us like you eat your meal and you're satisfied and you you want to keep eating your meal you know what i'm saying you don't want to give other people your food you don't want to bring everybody other people to the table everybody wants to like celebrate and remember Ali and but it's like you know what else he did you know he sacrificed everything to stand up for what he believed in like right like, right. like it went went to jail like he didn't know like he ended up his legacy ended up you know surviving all that and although there was it took a hit and all that it's like he didn't know that he didn't know if he was ever going to leave the jail when he went in he didn't know if he was going to make it to the jail like yeah it's it's so like it's the i sometimes you see we're not our i'm not my ancestors or whatever and to a degree of you know like oh you know i'm not gonna put up with this it's like but y'all put up with this shit all the time like all the damn time right and it's like and so it's like let's let's be real about what we're doing what we're willing to sacrifice and for what and it's like what do we really believe is like if y'all if you believe your paycheck is more important than your liberation then own that know that and it's like, and then figure out what you can do about that and, and, and like work with that. But don't like try to pretend that you're not prioritizing this paycheck over not just your liberation, but the liberation of all those uh, 
around you and those in your communities and beyond it's like and especially internationally and it's like that's it's not a comfortable weight to bear you know and it's like should be distributed in an appropriate manner you know and it's like if you're a stolen person in stolen land you don't bear the same type of responsibility as you know the seat as jeff bezos or whatever but like that we all proportionately have our our you know burdens to bear regarding our contributions and our complicities and our our roles and it's it's about confronting those and then addressing them and it's not that you are that 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 we exist in the system it's that we don't do anything to resist it that we should be held accountable for and so like and doesn't mean all the time in every way it just means it, like that you need to be trying and it's like for me you know just seeing the efforts that have been put forth before me by people in that were you know in worse conditions and, and suffering in many ways that i don't have to suffer from because of their uh, their work uh, it it feels both as an obligation and an honor to you know in any way try to further that legacy and so like when you see people kind of sit on the shoulders of those historical giants then just to like you said like to bat down the people trying to also reach the mountaintop and or you know in that aspect is just even more frustrating and more kind of disgusting and and it's just like how and then you remember the deep kind of colonization of the mind that takes place throughout both uh, your educational process and then the professional world and i try to be empathetic and to be understanding and to you know all those types of things and like to express the kind of the good parts of what you described with seeing that the national reserve or the reservist that's you know chanting along and the recognition that's being made the conflict and like be appreciative of all that but at the same time like you said it's like you got to make that choice to get up and put that uniform on in the first place and if if you're if you didn't confront it until you had to look at your brother in the eye with the gun in your hand then you have to own that and you and you have to correct make make the adjustments in your life to address that i think and so right. like that uh, we can't see that in a tweet in a, a 30 second video in a tweet and so we don't know where that is or where that's gone but like it it does provide a, a window of insight to see how we all absorb and integrate that kind of uh that that event into our analysis of what's going on in the world and the reaction to well you know don't don't you know start maligning imperialism in this is like well no this that's actually a very important thing to raise at this moment because right. people, <laughs> when people are having Connected. that emotional reaction yeah that's it's like right. that's part of why that's so visceral and i think it's frustrating for me too because like you see that there's a point at which people can reach under an understanding right so you say okay this black serviceman we don't as you said we don't know what happened before and after but maybe after this moment he said to himself you know i'm tired of doing this I'm going to go join the protesters. But then the question becomes, okay, but then does he make then the other connection about the prospect of having to go to war in another country and harm other people who don't look like him, right? Who may not be exactly his, his skin color, you know, who may not have grown up in the same environment that he recognizes as community. You know what I'm saying? May speak a different language, et cetera. Is there, is there going to be not just a connection of from the gen, made by the general public, but also a connection made by these service people, right? Who say, and in some cases, as as we've talked about before on this podcast and in other avenue, in other venues, you know, like there are connections that be, that get made by 
service people of color who recognize, oh shit, like they're doing the same thing to us as we're doing to them. Maybe we should stop this, right? You see a lot of, um, you know, people who come back from Vietnam who then, or, and, and who come back from World War II who then become fighters on other, on other um, issues in the United States. Some of them become anti-war activists, right? So there is potential there. Um, but I just hate that it has to get to the point where you go off and you kill a bunch of people and then you realize there's something wrong with this, right? You come back yeah. messed up and then you, then you make the, you make the connection. Um, and I, that's what's so frustrating and, and why I agree with you that there must be, there must be some um, inroads made now at this moment, this is exactly the time. Like I'm sick and tired of hearing, this is not the rest, this is not the time. Stay focused, focus on the police brutality, but it's like the military is our version of police brutality exported. And often there's a connect, a deeper connection because a lot of policemen are ex-service people. So like, the, and they're mm -hmm. using military grade weapons and they have to have training to use those weapons. And they're being trained by, by IDF, which is the military in Israel, they're being trained by NYPD. They're being like all of these things operate in this in the same network, right? So it's not like they're separated; they are integrated directly. <laughs> so we have to talk about the whole thing. That's what we mean. We, we mean when we say systemic. It's not about one little bitty problem. It's about a much bigger problem, a much bigger system that we sustain when we say things like "not all cops are bad; some of them are okay." We don't recognize that like there, these things are connected in a deep, much deeper way that has much greater consequences that we need to come to terms with and then break all of it down. Yeah, and I mean, it can, it, like, I understand people's desire to resist, you know, the sentiments like all cops, uh, like all cops are bastards bad or whatever, or, the, uh, you know, that anybody in the military is bad and like the, you know, everybody's braver than the troops kind of meme. And I understand people's reticence to to do that because they have some personal connection or whatever. But it, it's it's so much more important to kind of grasp and understand the connections between the brut brutalization of people abroad and, like you mentioned, the parallels to the police is like we often refer to ourselves or referred to as the world police. And if uh, U.S. is policing, if this is how the police act on our domestic population, then it would naturally follow that we would apply similar policy in our world policing. And it's like, and those two, the, the, the connection and the nature behind that kind of the assumptions that are made about, well, we've got to essentially tame these brutal savages, else they run amok without our supervision and, you know, stern hand is exactly what guides both, you know, the massive police presence in minority neighborhoods and the U.S. military presence around the world. Like these are these, the, the underpinning ideology and understanding of uh, other humans is the same and so like and that's the problem is that it's based off of a fallacious and outdated and racist and all these terrible adjectives uh understanding of what humanity is and is like something as root and somewhat as basic but also as complex as like a frarian understanding of humanity and kind of the of what it means to be more fully human and then building a society around that rather than a punitive and carceral society that punishes original sin is so fundamentally different from what we understand society to exist as and what it can be. It's very hard, I guess, for a lot of us to kind of visualize and understand. But once you kind of start making these connections about how the brutalization of people domestically and abroad is based off of this mis 
like misconstrued notion of how to uh, mitigate aberrant behavior in humanity, then you understand that something like a, a kind of concept of Frarian love makes a lot of sense. And then when you look at the sociological research that's been done over the last 50 to 100 years, you find out that the science supports it too. And it's like, right. the, it, when you start to look at these things, you start to find out that the narratives that you're being told in, by these people that are clinging to a society that has devastated countless people domestically and around the world, it is just not, it's just wrong. And is they constantly in there. And I feel like these moments of, you know, kind of uh, grand attention uh, refocus people's uh, attention on just how like poorly they're being informed by this network of, of uh, folks that are supposed to be guiding their kind of social understanding. I think that they're, I don't know. I think if people just did better reading, because I see also the other thing is like a lot of people are reading books about how to not be racist. Um, how to, because uh, I see like on the, on the charts right now, how to be an anti-racist and all these things are trending. Um, yeah, the BLM list on Netflix is terrible. Continue. Yeah, that too. Um, and I just, you know, again, it makes it about the individual, which we've already gone over ad nauseum at this point, but I also feel like, it doesn't address these deeper things that we're talking about. It doesn't help them get to that point. And I guess, you know, everyone has to get to things gradually, right? But like, we can't wait on this. That's just so frustrating. It's like, we do not have time to wait on these things. They need to happen now. We need people on board now. And we need people to have a wake up call now. And that's why I think we need to work instead of like telling people to read stuff that gradually gets them there. I mean, these are, these are adults, you know what I'm saying? Like they can take it, they can, they can read something that's that goes into greater depth quicker and gets to it now you know what I'm saying? I, I think at least I would hope um I I don't think that we need to have uh we need to wait so long for this learning curve right like there is because we don't have that luxury let's be honest like people who are being killed by the police didn't get an option to say well can I get my police murder a little bit slower please right a little bit softer please like that isn't an option you have you have you go to zero to 180 with the police and so I think that there are zero to 100. I think that there has to be a zero to 100 stat uh, learning as well about what's happening to us. You've had all this time, you know what I mean? Like I'm an adult, I'm an adult. I'm, almost, I'm 36 now, 36, how old am I? I'm, 30, I'm 36, am I 36? Yes, I'm 36, I'm 36. <laughs> and uh, that, that means that's clear that I'm 36 because I can't remember how old I am. But I'm 36 and I'm sitting here going, I've, I've had no opportunity to get caught up right? I have, to, I have to go through and understand things as they're happening to me, as they're happening to members of my community, right? I don't have the luxury to sit back and wait for someone to break it down and explain it to me and be an ally and blah, 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 all this shit. No, I have to deal with it as it comes. And I think that in our society, if you are part of a racist system that you benefit from, you need to deal with it as it comes to, and you need to fucking read up and learn what's going on and learn how to oppose this shit. Use your privilege to fight it. And I think that there's a degree to which we're already seeing that insofar as there are white people at these protests and they're making a difference in it. The optics of things, right? Because for other white people to see other white people get beat down by police is like triggering for them, I'm sure. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, how do we then make that jump for them to recognize that the, the connections, as we said earlier, the connections between police and military, but then the connections between like the victims of police and military operations as well. Because um, I remember seeing, for example, there's already been some bullshit online with like people saying, well, Black Lives Matter 
and you can say Black Lives Matter and support what Israel's doing in the same breath. And I'm like, but you can't because <laughs> they're engaging in a colonial practice and a violent military uh, police state, basically, towards the Palestinians. And maybe you should probably unthink that there's no connection there because there is a con like literally the IDF, as I said earlier, train our police. So like, like there, there, there's been some discussion too about tactics, specific tactics used by police that were learned directly from IDF. So one of them being to shoot the victim multiple times to the point where you're like emptying multiple guns in somebody's body. Um, that's a tactic that they learned from IDF soldiers. So, you know, I, I, I just, I don't know, like, I see so many you know, demonstrations of um, just blatant cognitive dissonance, and it's very, it's just frustrating. I just, I, I don't know. I think y'all can probably get it from listening to me on this podcast episode this time around. I, of course, I'm always upset, but I think right now I'm just, I feel almost like, I don't know. I've reached a point where I'm just like, I'm really sick of it. I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of waiting. I'm sick of people, sick of waiting on people to try to get caught up on stuff that we've been teaching them forever. I'm sick of people making this about the individual. I'm sick of people not wanting to take risks and change, really change stuff. I think part of it too is just that we don't know where to begin. Like people aren't sure where to begin. Um, and, and for some people it's like, electoralism but we see that doesn't get us very far obviously joe biden's a piece of garbage but then even bernie sanders has been saying similar dumb shit that after years years of black lives matter activists sitting down with him and talking to him and discussing the prospect of police like police abolition and, and changing policing as we know it and all this stuff he's still out here talking about let's do sensitivity training and give the police more training and give them more funding to get better police and making this sort of weird assumption about like, it's kind of like a, a, an elitist assumption that, well, if the police has a higher degree, like a higher educational degree and better training, that he'll be a better police officer as if people with academic backgrounds don't engage in racist and violent practices all the time. I mean, half of the fucking neocons that sit on these TV shows every weekend, like MSNBC stuff and CNN and whatnot, all of them went to college all of them have PhDs and graduate degrees and all this stuff. They're very intelligent people and they're very well studied. And yet they, they use their intelligence to more brutally crack down on people abroad and people in this country. Like, why is there this assumption that, you know, a higher educational background or better training will make you less racist and less violent towards people of color? I, I don't know where they get that idea from. And Bernie Sanders of all people should know better than to say something like that. But, he is. And then Nancy Pelosi and this fucking stunt with all of them showing up in Kente cloth, which I felt like, is, like that, <laughs> oh, that image. Because first of all, I, I was annoyed and shocked by what I saw, that they had the audacity to, to pull this stunt now. But then, then I learned yeah. this is, and this is what I'm talking about when I say you have one job and you have a very easy job here that I get that I get upset about is the make to make matters worse. I learned that the Congressional Black Caucus is the group that gave them the okay to do this nonsense because apparently the CBC does this. They do like the kente cloth stuff when they're making important statements about race or some shit. And so, um, and it's and like it just, the kente cloth has a cultural significance that is just being totally like demolished by all this for continue so <laughs> yeah well and also like i remember when i that was like this is where i really date myself on top of already telling my age but like this is stuff that's left over from like 
the Rainbow Coalition era of the late 80s, early 90s. Like, I remember kente cloth was a thing when I was little, you know? And that was, like, that was in the absence of really understanding where we are from as African Americans with, like, from the continent, right? It was sort of a generic, like, okay, let's just take this thing, the symbol of Africanness, and take it as our own. Because, in, like I said, in lieu of or in the absence of greater knowledge about where we're from, right? Because th at that time, I mean, I think, of course, of course, like historical researchers and stuff knew, but I think the average citizen and even politicians weren't fully aware that like, okay, the majority of, you know, Black people in the United States and the Americas come from West Africa and Black people and like multiracial people in the Middle East and South Asia come from East Africa. But there wasn't quite as much research done on and, and that was proliferated to the public at that time um and now we understand that and so it's like not really necessary for us to to go into the whole okay we should learn Swahili and we're take off you know what I mean like there are certain there are certain aspects of Africanness that we grabbed sort of hodgepodge from different countries to try to construct a history for ourselves in in the absence of actual hard knowledge about that history so that's yeah, why it's kind of ironically well captured in a Fresh Prince episode. Ironically, like ironically enough, but uh, continue. Sorry. Yeah, we should we should link. Yeah, we should link that in the in the uh, show notes. If you have the exact episode, let me know because um, I'll put I'll put a link to it. But it's just kind of like ironic to me. I guess maybe fitting that it's a generic approach. Again, not blaming the people who did this, but it's a generic approach to Africanness and our African heritage that then is is mobilized, is marshaled in this moment of of commemorating a man who was murdered for being, I mean, he was murdered because the man who murdered him was a racist. And like, it just, it, it's, it feels so dated, you know? It's a very dated response. It's a very, in my opinion, inappropriate response. Um, and you know, the next week, She's going to go up on that, on the dais and talk about how she's not going to give any additional aid to people who lost their jobs and how she's against Medicare for all and how she's against ending policing and like doing basically what Joe Biden, uh, you know, pantomime of what Joe Biden is doing right now, where every day he goes out and reminds us once again, why we shouldn't vote for him and his ass. I mean, again, I'm, I'm like, this is stream of consciousness, but like for his ass to show up at anything related to George Floyd is like. I, 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 I was mm -hmm. so angry. I was so angry because I'm like, you're the one who helped, who are, you were an architect of these things that allow us to have the kind of policing and prison system we have right now to this day that endangered George Floyd's and many other people's lives. And yet you have the audacity to walk your ass up to the funeral of this man and then to do a message and whatever. I recognize that probably more than half the people at that funeral voted for you and you you see it as some sort of obligatory like political duty. But this man, I mean, I, I don't even know. I don't know what to say, Richard. Like, I'm just, I want mm -hmm. people to, to like, like, let me just say this right now. If something happens to me, if God forbid I'm taken out by the state at any point, which, you know, let's hope that I'm not spelling my own demise here. But if, mm -hmm. if God forbid we get to the point where like Trump and his associates are going after podcasters and going coming to their house and doing something to them. If I end up getting taken out by the state, do not, I repeat, do not let some lukewarm piece of garbage Democrats show up to my funeral acting like they, uh, they are going to make a statement. I wish he would. Don't you dare. Like, do not. I would be so angry. You know, like 
And then the other mm-hmm. thing is like his girlfriend, George Floyd's fucking girlfriend came out after he was murdered when the protest started. And she was like, I don't want, we didn't hear George Floyd. George wouldn't want any of this looting now. He wouldn't want any, any angry protests. I'm like, lady, if you don't shut your butt up. And she's white too, the, the girlfriend or the fiance. So it like optically was even worse, right? Because it's like you have this white woman who's telling protesters to calm down, supposedly on behalf of her now dead black black boyfriend. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you don't speak for us. You don't speak for us. Joe Biden doesn't speak for us. This this has to stop. Like we have to get to the point where we are demanding something. People right now are talking about how they want, you know, like they want acknowledgement. They want people to understand what's going on with us. They want, they want them to, to reach out. I get all of that. But we also have to make connections between this situation and the economics, this situation and imperialism, this situation and, and reproductive rights. There's so many things that we have to start connecting, really connecting, because I think people think it's enough to just say that what happened to George Floyd was wrong. They think that's enough. And Mm -hmm. they think they've done their duty if they go buy uh, a t-shirt from a black owned business and they tweet black lives matter and that's enough. And I, I, I just, I don't know when we're going to get to the point where we see that it's not enough. It's never enough. And it has to go much deeper than that. And yeah, I'm just, I'm frustrated and I'm, it's, it's like insult upon injury to, to do what the Democrats are doing right now. Like they're literally depriving people of rights, black people, by the way, of of rights and access to the things that we need amid this fucking crisis. And then they have the audacity to throw on a kente cloth and act like they're on our side. Get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. There's a great little clip of Baldwin uh, doing an interview in his uh, later years where he's, you know, basically expressing contempt is, you know, it's taking my father's time, my brother's time, my time. And it's like, how much time do you need? And here we are still decades after that quote, and it's still not been time yet. And it's long past time, frankly. And uh, at this point, like, People like when we talked earlier a little bit about the abolition concept, you mentioned just Google these things is like right now there's just absolutely no excuse for you to have anything but an unrelenting supportive position of abolishing the police until or unless you've at least at minimum listened to the Ruth Wilson Gilmore interview uh, through the intercept. It's like so readily and easily accessible for so many people. Like if you're in the United States and you're able to hear me make this comment, chances are then you're able to get access to that interview. And there's just simply at this point, no excuse to not have at least that level of understanding and engagement with why the ideas of you know reforming or videotaping or whatever the police are are not acceptable and also and to even a further degree that you know making a tweet and buying a t-shirt is not anywhere near the level of of, uh, aggressive activity that's needed in order to spur the kind of action that's necessary from those in power and it's it's so far beyond the point of being reasonably or justifiably or understandably ignorant about this stuff. Like it's the, one of the quotes that gained some traction recently is silence is violence. And I feel like that's pretty apropos in that it's very like, 
it's not even just silence. It's like, if you're just, if you're ignorant about this stuff, if, unless, like, unless that ignorance is accompanied with unrelenting support of the, of the larger cause, then, okay, I guess you can live in your ignorance and, and, you know, go about your day if that's how you have to do it. And I have to get your support. I don't, theory tells me that that's not going to carry us to where we need to be in the long run. But at least if you can just stay the hell out of the way, like the, right. the like idea, just be quiet the, in this. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what we do need you to be silent. <laughs> yeah, it's like we do not, absolutely do not need somebody who just now came to the realization that the police are this violent uh, organization that abuses people's rights to be like, well, I don't know if your solution of abolishing them is like, no, you you don't get to have you just you don't get, you you don't get to be treated as if you're contributing something of value to the discussion simply because of your whiteness. That's, that's just, that does, it doesn't work that way at this point. And especially not in this time on this topic. Like you don't just get that, that you normally get credited to you on every other topic where you don't have to have any understanding or expertise or experience or knowledge of the history to be able to feel like your opinion is valid. This is not one of those spaces or times. Like, so just don't like at very minimum, just don't. It's like, mm -hmm. be supportive, do the right, like, contribute open up the wallets that's good you know contribute towards the bail funds towards the, those things and do some research make sure that you're contributing towards uh, an organization or a group that is actually doing what they're purporting to do but like just it is the idea that the hesitation of allies is even a remotely acceptable position like well you know i'm not gonna be able to tell my racist uncle i don't care like that is one that's a you problem and then you and your uncle problem but two like it, it we're past that like the reason why police station got burned down why people are in the streets and why it's right now relatively peaceful is because people are done they're fed up it, it we're past the point where you can placate people with the uh kneeling and kente cloth that that time has passed and so it, it it's time to take serious and uh, bold action and we've just basically, we, we've had it thrown in our face that that is exactly not what we're going to see from our purported allies in the political system. Right, and I think that's what makes it more disappointing, you know, because as you said, we've had, they've had plenty of time, they've had time to do their research, they have all these advisors and all these people, and yet they don't have anyone to educate them, like maybe this isn't the best, and that's what I said earlier, like I'm sick and tired of these people who claim to represent us who are black too because they let them do that they suggested that they do that you know what i mean i'm like come on like there's there's got to be like something's got to give you know we've got to get to the point where we have people who who actually do their jobs and represent us and do speak for us and do so in a way that's toward our best interest and not like just putting on a show to make people feel like okay check like i said something about black lives matter i put up a hashtag i put up a tweet and i wore my kente cloth okay i did what i need to do that's enough but one thing i will say is like on a positive note because i've been like very negative obviously on a positive note though i think i am at least encouraged by the really young people getting involved so you see like middle schoolers and high schoolers and like little kids showing up to these protests um which is i think encouraging um, and perhaps, you know, like they will be the ones who make a difference as, and I say, this is like my own baby is like making noise in the background, but she, maybe her generation will be the ones that kind of, I mean, we're getting closer and closer, I think with time. Um, but I worry about setbacks, like the idea that once white people have the language, the proper language to use, that these things will like continue to go underground more. 
And so like you have people like Roger Goodell of the NFL and, and police themselves like kneeling and apologizing and all this stuff. Mm. I think it's the, the problem is that they learned the language to then speak further into our oppression. You know what I mean? Like they know what not to say in public. So they get better. They, their hands aren't as dirty. Their feet aren't as dirty. They're not leaving as much of a mess and a trail. But we know that systemic, this is why I'm saying if we don't reach the systemic analysis part, things are going to stay as is. It's just that they'll have, a, they'll, they'll use the right words as they put up their boots on our necks, you know. Um, and I think that, that that's what scares me a little bit about this, this time because I think people are, like, if people read more, great. If people know the language to use, great. But if they don't have the actions to to accompany it, what are we looking at? You know, and what are we looking at if we're still voting for people who don't care about making any deep changes into systemic problems and who are literally saying to our faces, I don't care about y'all. And if you don't vote for me, you're not black and you're stupid. Um, you know, I just... I am not sure what, I'm, I'm not sure how to make that, that connection in people. And I'm not sure how to compel people to recognize that, like, just because you know how to speak right doesn't mean, like, the, I mean, the phrase, actions speak louder than words. And people always forget about that. I think in this country, they see words speaking louder than actions. They'll look at someone and if they're using the right kind of language to talk about an issue, then they ignore all the other stuff they're doing in the background that goes directly against the principles that they purport just to, you know, speak about in our faces. I just, I, I don't know what, I don't know how that connection gets made. Yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult. And it's, I don't, I don't really have a prescription myself. And I, I've, I like you said, I've been kind of uh, down, but at the same time, you mentioned the younger people we get involved in being, uh, having, bringing that energy and activity to the issues and seeing things sort of in a new light I feel like uh for the younger youngest gener generation gen z and uh those coming up it's they essentially they were able to access information before a lot of the dominant narratives were able to really set in and really settle and become essentially just the world as they know it and so like when they were able they were able to like search their curiosities for those that had them and be able to investigate the the story that they were being told from their parents and the adults in their life versus what the reality was. And I think also being so constantly confronted with the, those contradictions uh, essentially helped a generation that where society generally abandoned them and the ability of developing their critical thinking skills they've been able to kind of uh, arrive at them at a through a different pathway that was not necessarily foreseen by those that were essentially wanted another generation of uh, obedient factory workers even though there's no factory for them to work in and so like uh i feel like that has has played a role in some of the optimism optimism that i've had and it's uh it's also played a role in some of the kind of the pessimism I've seen and seeing their, uh, their newness exploited by people that are taking advantage of the situation. But I feel yeah. as though that some of them have been able to kind of recognize some of that because just the, like, I, it seems to me that Gen Zers are just a more aware of the cycle of exploitation than my peers were at that age. And 
uh, it's probably a confluence of factors that's kind of gotten us there. But I feel as though, uh, like, among my peers, while they recognized the kind of unjustness of the system around them, they didn't have either the language or the kind of conceptual frameworks to deal with them. And I feel like stuff like Marxist analysis has penetrated into Gen Z a lot more than it was able to when there was still so much of the red scare lingering and the, the specter of communism was still so strong in the United States uh, generally. And I think Angela Davis also points out that the fear of communism is also a predominantly uh, white feature in the United States and that black right. people more have a kind of a, I don't know what that is. Why should I care about it? Kind of, yeah, exactly. And so like, and I feel as though that has also resulted in a lot of uh, kind of Marxist uh, framings and understandings of things has found purchase in a lot of marginalized oppressed groups, especially uh, black communities, because there isn't that kind of automatic deterrent is like, well, I know this, well, I, I know what the U S is doing is crap. So, I mean, whatever this other thing is, I'm I, I'll go ahead, pitch it. You know, I'm, I'm willing to listen. Can't, it does, it's hard. You're going to be hard to convince me that it's going to be worse than what we got set up here as it is. And so like, I think that's been a part of it. And I think also black capitalism was a lot stronger uh, when I was coming up and the idea that you could lift yourself up through entrepreneurialism uh, was a lot stronger. And then I've along with all the other videos, the videos of, you know, NBA athletes and NFL stars and their reporting of incidences happening to them kind of woke a lot of people up that no, just because you get rich and you play by the rules and you do or don't kneel when they tell you to or whatever, doesn't mean that the the cop that's making 50, 60 grand a, a year that sees you on the street is going to treat you any differently than uh, the, the than they would have had you ended up working at McDonald's. Like right. you're still going to get, and if anything, they're going to be more suspicious of you because you don't fit what they expect and that upsets them. Right. I mean, yeah, because this is the thing. Like, I've always said, of course, I mean, I, it's my opinion, and I think statistics will bear this out, that, you know, if you are a person who's Black and poor, you are more likely to be harassed by police precisely because they're already in your neighborhood, right? They're already kind of, um, you know, like they have checkpoints up, they're, they're patrolling your neighborhood, and in some cases that are like on the verge of gentrifying even more so because they're trying to get it like high, like basically it's a hygiene project to use like really old term old terminology but um something that was used in like the positivist movement you know to like kind of hygienize the area to get it cleaned up literally and figuratively uh to prepare for white presence and so i think that we see that kind of violence enacted in greater numbers in poorer neighborhoods. However, as you said, there's also the the policing that goes beyond the poor neighborhoods where it's like, they treat you as though you're, you, you belong in the poor neighborhood. You don't belong in the wealthier neighborhood. This can't possibly be your car. This can't possibly be your house. You can't possibly be just running around here. You must be committing some sort of crime. Um, and I think that that kind of, that expansion of the ge like this sort of like I, I like to call it like the geography of policing you know what I mean where they have their their territory is not a physical one right it's like a like mm -hmm. a psychological one or a mental one where they see blackness and they see with it poverty and crime and sus like suspect behavior like 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 I guess like likelihood of criminal activity for them, that is the geography. Like that's that's the place where all black people belong. Even and if they're not in the space where they see that kind of criminality at its height in poor neighborhoods, then they're gonna make you. They're gonna remove you and replace you 
put you back in the place where you belong, put you back in the geographic confines um, that you belong in. And I think that there's kind of a, I don't know, I, I think we as a society do that already, um, but obviously the policing element adds the violence to it. Um, and I think also just to pick up on what you said earlier about uh, young people being less susceptible to the Red Scare stuff. I think you're, tr you're accurate in saying that, but I also worry because I've seen some things lately with the whole, like the Russiagate scare and all of that, even though Russiagate was not put in terms of communist, anti-communist or communist versus capitalist, because obviously Russia right now is not a communist country anymore. It's not the USSR. But I think the conflation of Russiagate with some of the imagery we saw that was left over from the Cold War is obviously problematic. I don't think that many young people bought it, um, but I still worry about that having an influence and it, it kind of manifesting in different ways. Um, I think it could be, like I think one thing that we might see uh, from younger people is a conflation of, for example, liberation movements and terrorism. I think that has the potential to, to happen. Um, so it may not be articulated through Cold War terminology in terms of communists or not, but it might be articulated in terms of terrorists or not. That's certainly something that millennials saw because we were, you know, teenagers when 9-11 happened. Um, and I, I think that that, you know, that has the potential to break up or at least just diminish some of the power of certain movements. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We, we have some time to see what happens. And I, I think that there is a reason to be optimistic at least. Uh, but I do still have... I do, despite that optimism, I still have worries. I worry about what things could break down into. And I, you know what? I'm going to say it now. I think what we're going to see with this generation, to be honest, is a kind of colorblindness, um, but in a way that's detrimental. I think what we might end up seeing is an acknowledgement of racism, but a discussion of it as if it's something that's happening in the past, even though it's happening in our present. And people are acknowledging that. I think it's going to be like a simultaneous acknowledgement of what's happening in the present, but then also a, a, a recognition of a supposed amelioration of those things. So like things are getting better. You need to be more positive. Look at all these interracial relationships and biracial children. And, you know, like we have all this diversity in our board and we have all these people who are representatives and, and government officials or whatever who are of color and women. But I wonder in some ways if we're going to see a kind of softening of the, the barbs that we need to really be like <laughs> throwing at the situation because of that divert, like because of that supposed progress, might we see a regression? I, I mean, in, in terms of activism, and I'm not really sure. But I think I worry about the irony is that I think the unity is going to be what will bring down Gen Z's uh, moment. I don't know. The two things that come to my mind are uh, one kind of the point that you raised earlier uh, about kind of uh, the reticence to attack Obama or, you know, to recognize Obama and the role imperialism played or he played as an imperialist. And I'm reminded of uh, Hampton's quote on the importance of political education, else you end up with a, a black imperialist, which Obama pretty much uh, manifested exactly. And so I think political education is critical. And so ideally, I'd like everybody should just always be curious, you know, and just 
you, that curiosity is how you continue to grow and absorb and integrate new information. And if you're not curious, then you're not going to be integrating new information. If you're not integrating new information, then your worldview is going to stagnate and no longer apply to the real conditions and material conditions of the world around you. And that's just not going to work. And so it's important. The other kind of quote that comes to my mind is it's from uh, Tupac at Malcolm X, where he says, you know, it's not just about you know you raising your children speaking to the black community about you know being present and so on and so forth but it's about raising these children and not forgetting about the lost children and the the children that aren't getting these things from their homes it's on us as a society to rear these children to provide the types of uh, stability and the role modeling and the kind of information and guidance that is uh, so critical in those developing years uh, for our youth so that when they have to confront the world, whatever we end up leaving them, that they're prepared. It's like, we're not even preparing our kids leaving high school to go to college at this point. And so uh, the, I'm also, I guess, reminded of dead prez about they schools and that they're not teaching us what we need to know to survive. And so we have to teach each other. And like, uh, I think that's going to be a very important aspect of uh, empowering the youth to, in the actions that they're clearly motivated to take. Whatever happened, whatever happened to Dead Prez anyway? Where are they these days? Right? I mean, yeah, it's kind of, they're kind of spotty in and out. And like, I don't know, yeah, like, it, whenever I read anybody anymore or listen to anything anymore, I just assume that they've been co-opted or lost or whatever. <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Rush just ruined everything for me. <laughs> yeah, oh, Bobby Rush. I get it. I mean, I feel that way. Like I just recently, you know, when um, T.I. and uh, Killer Mike made the statement with Keisha Lance Bottoms, who's the mayor of Atlanta, mm. about like don't destroy property and all this stuff. I mean, it's, I get that. I, I told so I just want to say like I acknowledge the validity in being upset when you see property destroyed in your community, right? And I think this is something that uh, Ilhan Omar pointed out when she she gave a very like very vitriolic statement against property damage precisely because she was saying the area where they were seeing looting and and stuff was in an area where like black people were the owners of these shops and immigrants and people like that, you know, like black immigrants in some cases, like they were the ones who had like fought really hard to put the community together and like bring business to the community, bring resources to the community. And so she was upset that like people were destroying it. And she basically argued that like, these are not people who care about our community. They mightn't be from here, but they're not really from here. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not, there's an alienness to what they're doing because anyone who cares about black life in this community wouldn't destroy the shops of black owners who treat, you know, like who've worked really hard in this community. So I understand it. I get it. You know, I acknowledge it. However, there were elements of uh, like white supremacists or like other groups that were using these things as cover and Bobby Rush, ironically, the his office got uh, like basically, you know, somewhat ransacked, but it turned mm. out it was the police that did it. Mm. So. Yeah, so those <laughs> things exist, right? We understand that. However, I think in the case of Killer Mike and, and T.I. and Keisha Lance Bottoms, it was more of like a chastising, you know, like a, a poo-pooing, like, don't do these things, Black people. Like, let me, you know, like, it's almost like a child, like a, a parent talking to their child. Um, it was very infantilizing and respectability politics, politics laden and all of these things. And I think that there is he's an example of someone like that. He's very, you know, like um, militant on, on tape. 
But then when you get him to actually start talking, Killer Mike, <laughs> Killer Mike is a black capitalist. He supports, you know, black owned, black owned businesses, which is fine. But he does so in a way that it's like for uplift. He's very like bootstrappy. If you listen to a lot of his interviews, he talks about things that like kind of rub me the wrong way. It's always like, you're good, you're good, you're good. Oh, no, what the hell? You know, like he goes in a direction that sometimes just completely diminishes his earlier point. Um, and that I think there are a lot of people like that. So I think I understand your reasoning for kind of keeping things at arm's length or keeping certain artists at arm's length and not like always valorizing them in the same way um, that maybe we did in the past for their militancy, because then when you actually get them talking, you're like, Oh, I don't know. I think that there's also an issue of like sexism many times, right? There's kind of this mm -hmm. um, protect black women, but then also police black women. <laughs> like there's a very strange um, kind of like misogyny, but dressed up as, as black activism that I see sometimes. Um, that, that yeah, Ice Cube recently about. got in trouble for sorry. Uh, Ice Cube recently got in trouble for uh, tweeting good things and then tweeting anti-Semitic propaganda like shortly after. It's just uh, like, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. It's like, come on, come on, people. Like it, it <laughs> like I mean, it's why we shouldn't be paying any attention to celebrities anyway and right. watching their pathetic like videos that they tried to put out when they weren't able to actually work with production crew should just expose them further for just how often talentless a lot of these people are on top of like the the lack of depth of their political analysis that right we sh like come on <laughs> yeah but it, i mean it's like if they were if killer mike and ti were you know paying for buses to take people to the whitest part of georgia okay go ahead make those complaints <laughs> <laughs> but don't just tell them no don't be angry that's right. bullshit <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely is and i mean i'm just I'm, like we have how many cases where like you're they're like the protesters are being yelled at, but not the police and not the people who are doing the real damage. Like, again, we're talking systemically. It's one thing to loot a place that sucks, you know, like don't destroy your target or whatever. But like, I mean, but like destroying a target is not the same thing as destroying someone's life and destroying someone's community and making a whole whole population of people in this country afraid to do anything like i literally sit here and think about like how many black people when, when the when the coronavirus hit you know we kept seeing we talked about this we kept seeing reports of like people getting in trouble and like slammed by the police for wearing a mask and then people getting slammed by police for not wearing a mask and it's just like you can't exist you can't even like you can't even fight the coronavirus you can't even prevent getting a fucking infection that will disproportionately that has been disproportionately killing black people because of pre-existing conditions and lack of healthcare access you can't even fight that. You can't even protect yourself from that without being hit by the police. Like this is this is terrorism. You know what I'm saying? Like this, if you want to talk about terrorism, mm -hmm. police act as state terrorists. They act as terrorists on behalf of the state, this racist ass country, and the racist ass systems that sustain it. And I'm just sick and tired of people being like, but there's some good ones. Like, no, it's this is harmful. And so what's frustrating to me is when people get on TV who know much better like Killer Mike, and then shit on protesters, shit on people for doing it wrong, shit on looters. Like, looters are not the enemy here. I, what they're doing might be wrong, but they're not the main people you need to be going on TV to yell at. Go on TV and yell at the fucking cops, you know? Like, the, who, like, bigger picture here, guys, you know? Like, 
focused on the big mm-hmm. picture and they're just not there. They're not there yet. And I don't know if they're ever going to be there because it's at the end of the day, they own property. They're rich. They want to protect what they have. And they're never, at the end of the day, these people are our class enemies. We've talked about this before. They might look like us, but they're our class enemies and they're trying to protect something that we don't have. And we can't, like, they're not invited to the cookout if they're going to sit there and defend a target over our lives. Like, that's not okay, you know? I don't care what you say on your mm-hmm. CDs or whatever, your MP3s. I don't care what you say on your tracks. You don't, you don't, you don't speak for me. And you don't, if you're not supporting us at a moment where we're getting killed by the cops left and right, you're worried about looters. You're not, you're not, you're not on my team. You know, that's, that's not. Yeah, throwing a rock through a window does not at all in any way justify shooting a tear gas canister in your crowd that just coincidentally happens to hit a grandmother in her forehead. Like, right. th- like this is not, those aren't the, that's not justice at all. It's like, let the window break. Right. Like right. don't risk shooting a grand, like black grandmothers in their freaking face to save a store window. That's, that's just absurd. Yeah. Like, but we've just put so much value in the property over humanity that like in 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 a cruel and sadistic way in some ways black life was valued more as property than it is as humans and nowadays and it, it's a sad re- realization but yeah. it's just it's it's just how things are and like i feel like in a lot of ways we've integrated too much of uh the the horrificness of this you know become too accustomed to this mal maltreatment that it's uh i guess uh, we we integrated in such a way that we just assume that the, with phrases like that's life and it's mm-hmm. like no that's not life that's capitalism that that's yeah, imperialism that's racism that yeah it's like we just assume this is the way of the world and that's how it always has to be and i r- keep referencing frary but like that's that's just a uh, part of what it is is like no the world is what we make it we can remake it into what we want and it's like, we just have to want it. And the, that there's people out here actively discouraging people from wanting more, wanting better, because it benefits them to keep things as it is, is just, is, is terrible. But then when it's supposedly somebody of your community supposedly representing you, it's just doubly more devastating. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, it's frustrating to me that the people who are supposed to speak for me and stand up for me are doing this, as you just said, but also that it's just, they're like, they're the people who claim to be down. Like why, why, I mean, and it reminds me of like actors and actresses, you know, who also are like showing their asses once again this week um, with the singing and the whatever, like these supposedly thought out thoughtful uh, recordings of themselves talking about how much black life matters to them while they go and support candidates and activities and and money and companies that are destroying us but anyway that aside uh, I'm not angry nope I'm fine um <laughs> but like it just I don't know it makes it more it hurts more when they're people who claim to be about certain causes um who then stab us in the back like this and I just and maybe they don't realize the optics of what they're doing like they don't realize what this looks like if you claim to be a revolutionary on the tape but then you go out and you're screaming at looters the next day i don't know if they fully understand and whatever but i'm not patient enough to deal with their lack of understanding when it's our lives on the line um and it just seemed poorly timed you know what i mean like like we have enough coming down on us as is you know we have enough pressure we have enough criticism 
we don't need to hear from them too. It's just like, that's enough. You know, like go, you can have, that's what I mean when I say like, these are like private conversations you can have. Like Killer Mike mm -hmm. could have had this conversation with his wife or with his friend or he and T.I. could have picked up the phone and called one another and said, man, what about that looting? Pretty shitty, huh? Yep. And then be done. They don't have to go on TV with a fucking press conference with the mayor of the city to then act like that's the biggest problem we have. Because that's dis that's misdirected anger, you know. That's like not where our focus needs to be. Um, well, and then it was paraded around by every uh, white liberal. Was like, right. see, look at look at these black people telling you to calm down and not destroy exactly. things. Why don't you listen to them? They're they're revolutionary and they're telling exactly. you not to. It's like, man. <laughs> exactly. That's the main problem. And so, I just I don't know. This has been uh, an interesting couple of weeks. And I think that, I hope that things get better. I see, you know, we've got this whole autonomous zones thing popping up, which might, might be fruitful, might not be. Um, we have a lot of people, a lot of white people who are in their feelings about race for the first time ever, which is great, but I needed to go further. I want them to read more books. I want them to like literally send us, send them to our podcast, you know, like tell them to listen. If you want, tell them to listen to people who are black leftists because i think one of the other disconnects we have is like we have a lot of black liberal uh nonsense out in the air <laughs> like that we're going to be happy with just the surface level stuff and we need to go much deeper than that and i think right now people are clinging to the surface level stuff because it makes them feel comfortable it's something that they can do in their free time you know they can sit there and read a book or make a donation or whatever but it's got to go much further than that and they need to hear that um and i think you know, we have, a, we have a very multiracial listening audience, which is great. Um, and I hope to keep it that way. But I also like, I want people to fully understand that like, I'm a black woman and that's the perspective that I'm speaking from. And that's who I'm talking to. I, I care about all y'all, right? Like I care about the people who listen and I appreciate the audience that we have. Um, but I also want people to understand that like, where my concern lies is with my community and obviously the people who are impacted by the violence that this country that I was born and raised in engages in, right? Like I care about them and they're gonna be my priority, my community and the people who are harmed by this country. So if people have issue with us and what we say here, feel free to leave it in the comments, comment, you know, like if you wanna, but if you wanna learn, stick around, read what we put in the show notes. Like we have, this is another thing, like, you know, when we were talking earlier about just, you can Google stuff. We have so many books in our show notes. This podcast literally started as a book list, okay? Like this project, when I started it, was literally a reaction to what I saw liberals doing in this country by denying that there are black and people of color leftists, right? So like, please, please literally read what we have been posting. If you're interested in learning about more than just being an, not being racist, right? If you wanna learn more about not just being an anti-racist, but also about enacting, um, engaging in politics and political decisions in your life that aid an anti-racist project and a project that helps people on an economic basis as well, read the books that we list. Um, go to Twitter, type in hashtag leftPOC, you'll see the full book list. Um, every book that I cited that talks about revolutions that were led by people of color on the left who were fighting for economic and social change and doing it with babies on their backs and in poverty and in the middle of jungles and in the middle of projects and in the middle of situations where they were not ideal. They weren't anywhere close to the privilege that many of us have at this very moment to be, you know, protesting. So please take a look at it, learn. 
Um, and you know, just again, understand that people I'm talking to are not just y'all. I'm talking to people like myself and hoping that we can find some sort of impetus to demand more for, for what's necessary to end the violence that we're facing every day at the hands of police, at the hands of this government. Um, things are only going to get worse. I'm sadly going to say when it comes to this government, I don't know what November is going to look like, but I don't think it's going to be pretty. And I'm really concerned. Like I'm, I'm just going to say it. I'm concerned that we're going to see ourselves in a state of exception um, and where we might have to really like all of us <laughs> go out in the streets and fight against what might be, um, I don't know, something we've never really seen before in the United States at quite this degree. So we'll see. I don't know. Richard, final thoughts from you. <laughs> Hopefully more you, optimistic you, than mine, but yeah, I just, I, mean, I don't know. I feel like if, pe if people can do what they're doing now, what are they going to do in November? You know, like if they're doing this now, what's going to happen when we're like, oh yeah, that vote was messed up. We should probably like, you know, I don't know. That, that's yeah, all no, I mean, me. yeah, no, I mean, we've seen several times uh, the fra the fragility of our democracy and how like Iowa, even the AP couldn't call that race and we just moved on. Like we don't like the primary for the Democratic uh, nomination. It, it was so botched that no election desk was willing to say that one person or another won that race. And it's like if and we just moved on to the next thing, the next new cycle, and that was the end of it. And so the the idea that there can even be any sort of real resolution in November or in January, finally, when they take office, or that that is on a timeline that is acceptable to the masses of people that you see in the streets is so disconnected from the reality. I am concerned about like how that's going to manifest, especially you mentioned the autonomous zone with uh, Trump tweeting things about like sending in the federal government, referring to the secret service as the SS and things along those lines. It, it does bring it. I mentioned if you go back and listen to the Carlos Mariela episode in the mini manual of uh, guerrilla warfare, like I mentioned there that it didn't feel like the U S was at a point where perhaps that, that uh, text was particularly relevant strategically but it feels increasingly day to day that it is a more uh, and more relevant piece of text about understanding how to operate within a, a essentially an increasingly fascist regime dead set on maintaining power and, and squashing dissent and so like the the antifa terrorism thing all these things we have to be aware of them and not like panic or you know uh, be a chicken little and the sky is falling but to be aware of them and to understand what options are at our disposal as far as uh, resisting or uh, counteracting against those uh, incidences and forces that are at work and so I think the I can't it, definitely definitely now is more is, is better now than never or and late than never is to start engaging in this material understanding that there have been leftists uh, of color throughout history going back you know decades centuries and it's important to look at the work that they've done because while marx has been critically influential globally and to uh, basically every liberation movement there has been work done since then and a lot of it has been done and enacted by leftists of color and there's a lot to learn there and along with a lot of the other history that's been stripped from the, the American public the successes of the 
of leftists of color has been stripped and so doing our little part that we can to help bring light to some of that and there's other resources uh site black women uh half atlanta uh and there's several others that you can find on twitter that are have tons of great information about both the historical uh, nature of these struggles and their modern incarnations and i just gotta implore people that you, you have to know more like people know so many obscure random facts about Nazis or Hitler or uh, random European facts. You need to have that kind of weird, peculiar uh, depth of knowledge about leftists of color. You need it. And it's like, we don't just need you to need it. or We don't just need you to have it. It's like, you need to need it because without it, you're not going to develop into a complete person. And, and what, that's what we need is more human people because the more human we are, the more powerful we're going to be to resist these inhumane forces that are oppressing and abusing us. Right, like this is not a vanity project. I always say that, you know, like this, I started this because I recognize the necessity to read leftists of color because at the end of the day, we've said over and over like, white people are not there yet. They're playing catch up. And these people have been facing, they've been at, you know, dealing with the brunt of the police state, the government, all this stuff. And they've been writing about it, fighting against it, talking about it forever. And so like, why not read the people who are at the base? Like, I don't know. It's just really crazy to me that we're not really addressing these things in the way that we should have from the jump. And so as, I, as you said, as I've always said, read, read, read focus, listen, pay attention to people who are speaking from, the, from a place of experience, um, from a place of historical knowledge and historical experience, and recognize that, like, they're not just saying it to say it. My baby's agreeing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that we just have to get to the point where we're learning more, and we're acting on what we learn, as opposed to just trying to reinvent the wheel over and over. We've said this over and over, too. People are trying to reinvent the wheel when the information is there. You don't have to reinvent what abolishing police means because people have written on it. And we're gonna cite those people in our show notes. So like, please take a look at that, go to the Patreon, you can find more reading material there. You can listen to our episodes where we do Reading Revolution and read and talk about um, these activists and the people that they've been inspired by and read themselves. Uh, I just want to thank everyone that is listening and has been supportive of the work that we've done and has been out there sharing and doing what they can to help bring more people into either the show in particular or even just the information that we're sharing and uh, just want to keep doing that and keep growing that and keep uh, being that resource that I wish I had when I was uh, the kids age that are starting these protests. I wish that I had the, these types of resources as accessible as I try or we try to make these. And so I just want more projects like this and more efforts like this to help expand the understanding of our history and of how we got here so we can figure out how to move forward. And thank you for listening to the Left Pocket Project podcast. As always, you can find more about the project by going on Twitter or Facebook and searching for Left POC. That's L-E-F-T-P-O-C. You can check us out on Patreon where you can find free episodes, all free, as well as reading materials from our Reading Revolution series and other bits of pieces uh, that we've read by going to, again, patreon.com slash leftpoc. You can also give us a donation of a dollar or more per month to keep us afloat. Um, everything on our podcast is always free, and we'd like to keep it that way with your help. Uh, so please feel free to donate there as well. Again, that's patreon.com 
slash leftpoc. Thanks again to everyone for listening and please take care of yourselves. Please be safe if you're going out to protest. Um, Be safe with the coronavirus happening Um, and just hug someone you care about. Take care of yourselves and really, really, really please make sure that you're doing everything you can to stay healthy, to stay safe uh, because we need you. Anyway, have a good one.